Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DLN's Expert Access, uh, which is a closer look at important, important topics uh, affecting the architecture and design industry. And uh, of course, doing that through sharing um, the insights from experts like Dana and Todd who are with us today. Uh, today's topic is one that I'm very personally excited and interested in because uh, I love hotels and I also love the hospitality design business. Uh, this is a critical time, of course, for that industry with enormous change going on and the result of a lot of impact from uh, the COVID-19 crisis on uh, all facets of, of how uh, hotels operate. Today, we're going to address that topic, uh, but also look deeper at how hotel brands and ho hotel design firms and all of the components of that industry work together to create the uh, products that we all enjoy and uh, look to the future here as well with our experts. Uh, my guests today are uh, Dana Kalzak and Todd Avery Lenahan. Uh, Dana, uh, many of you uh, may have known uh, of or met over time, uh, was until very recently the Vice President of Design and Innovation for Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts globally. Uh, she really uh, played an enormous role in uh, the evolution of that brand and the selection of designers and architects who uh, participated in the expansion of that uh, company's properties around the world. And then uh, Todd is currently the President and Chief Creative Officer of Wind Design and Development. Uh, and so, um, and Todd's background is as a designer as well. And I'm gonna start off, uh, which I like to do by asking each of them really just to talk about their background so that you hear from them uh, more than from me, uh, what the nature of their expertise is and their experience and background so that um, as we get into the conversation, uh, you know from, which, uh, from where they're coming. So I'll ask Dana to go first and just talk about your history in hospitality design and um, some of the experiences that you've had as a result of that. Sure, happy to. So uh, many, many years ago, I um, graduated from the School of Architecture, and so I'm uh, a licensed architect, but over the years have uh, been um, a designer, uh, in inevitably, in, in my role. And uh, I, I joined Four Seasons now um, 22 years ago, and it was um, quite an evolution. The, the role evolved from direct um, involvement in projects. My region was the Middle East. I sometimes thought that uh, my then boss sent me there, a woman in the Middle East, just to test my mettle and, and see if I could uh, make it. That worked out well. Uh, and then about um, 10 years ago, the role uh, shifted into design oversight uh, globally, not just on new projects, but also on uh, renovations. And there are so many anecdotes that I could tell, but uh, I'll, I'll keep it briefer. I, I think what was really interesting for me in this long journey with Four Seasons was that I um, became fascinated with the brand and its chairman and founder, Isidore Sharp, because he selected one of my super favorite uh, Toronto architects, Peter Dickinson. Unfortunately, he died prematurely um, of cancer. But I was fascinated by a company that would select such a modernist as the architect of their first two hotels. And then I joined the company and, and realized quickly that, in fact, the exterior was one thing, but the interiors were very different. And it was uh, a, a traditionalism that didn't sit well with my uh, modernist uh, roots. Uh, I was brought up on 
Mies van der Rohe and, and Corbusier and, and all the, the modernists. And, and I uh, took an oath to wear nothing but uh, black, gray, and white in accordance, but you can see that changed over time. Um, and so it was uh, a very traditional design language for the interiors. In fact, when people said Four Seasons, they really meant the old country uh, manor uh, with the flowered chintz and, and the fringes and the furbelows. And that uh, actually didn't sit very well with me. And for, for um, a period of time after joining, I wondered if I could stay in a company that had an aesthetic that was so traditional and whether I could do justice in, in, in furthering that and, and maintaining its integrity, because that kind of language does have its own aesthetic integrity. Um, but uh, over time, I earned the trust and confidence of uh, Isidore Sharp. And I started turning that uh, really big, slow-moving boat uh, around. And with the help of people like Todd and other uh, designers and, and a careful selection of them on projects where they could shine and be most successful, I, I think we've got um, new builds that reflect um, what we wanted to achieve, which was to recognize that our guests who were younger and younger were saying, we love the service, we love the recognition, we love Four Seasons, but really it's, it's a hotel chain that's uh, reflective of our gra grandparents' aesthetic value and, and not ours. So I think um, long journey, but I'm, I'm happy to, to report that um, um, in, in leaving, I, I left a team that was equally committed to contemporary design, to thoughtful and intelligent design, to design that's of the place rather than just the Georges Sank or, or a traditional country manor in England look. So that's my story. And uh, recently retired, but a, a little suddenly by, by COVID, um, but uh, ha happy uh, where I am and uh, looking forward with excitement to reinventing myself as, as time passes. Right. Uh, over to you. And I've already asked Dana what her plans are and I wanted to know what her schedule and availability was. She was very coy in her response. <laughs> but um, Dana, I, lo I love hearing your story and I'm so honored to have been a part of it because you have a great story and we've known each other for 20 years, over 20 years now, um, and have done you know over a half dozen plus projects together. But um, my story has some commonalities with, with Dana's. Uh, I, I'm trained as an architect, uh, like Dana is as well, um, and so that's really my foundation in the business, uh, technically, um, but I have always been a lover of the hotel, the hospitality experience. I, I grew up in Europe at an early age and loved the diversity of, of different cultures and different geographies, and I loved travel at a very early age, so I had kind of been bitten uh, quite young by uh, the hotel industry unknowingly. And throughout my architectural education, I always worked in frontline positions at a hotel, starting at the age of 14 actually, and continuing through even after I graduated. Um, I worked for Gensler in DC, and then I was um, brought to the Walt Disney Company, which was the first vertically integrated corporation that I worked for. And it was really quite wonderful because it's not unlike the company that I'm with now, where we, developed, designed, uh, owned, and operated the asset. Um, and it was an incredible experience there. I left the company as principal of design and art interior architecture after a decade. 
Um, and I loved what I was doing there, but I had done an awful lot at a very young age and felt like I still had more time on the boards um, as opposed to having ascended to an editorial role um, very young in life. And so I wanted to start a new type of hospitality firm. And I was told, don't do it. The industry is glutted. There's all kinds of big studios out there that already own the market, which made me want to do it all, all the more because I had been hiring quite a bit of consultants to work with us and had worked with some fantastic luminaries all over the world. And I often found that there might be a great studio that was brilliant creatively, but maybe fell short technically. One that was great technically, but maybe fell short in client service and operational understanding. And having worked for a vertically integrated organization, I was intrigued by the idea or naive uh, at that age, because I think I was 31 or 32 at that point. And I said, I'd like to create the next the next version, the next generation of hospitality design firm that brings all of that, that wherewithal together into one organization. And so that was really how I formed my own firm. And I didn't aspire to working in the luxury set specifically, um, but the type of work that I was doing had an appeal to a certain type of client. So increasingly my portfolio became uh, consumed by bona fide then mobile now Forbes five-star hotel operators and hotel owners, um, which brings me to where I am today because during that 20 year period, a number of my development partners and some of our operating partners had asked me to join their organization, had asked my firm to merge with theirs. And I always held those ideas at bay because I still felt like I had more to do on my own and I enjoyed the global stage on which I was working and, and wanted to keep working with fantastic people like Dana. So it was hard for me to, to turn that off. But uh, about two years ago, the opportunity presented itself once again. Um, and if you do the math, I've now covered about 30 years. So I'm much older than those early uh, than I was when I made those early decisions. And I decided to, to merge my studio with a longtime client. So I've been a part of Wind Resorts design and development team since its founding back in, in around 2002, 2003. So even though I'm new to the company as an employee, um, the work I've been doing for them is actually something that's been a big part of my portfolio for my whole life. And it's interesting because it's part of what brought Dana and I back together again. Dana and I did our earliest project 20 years ago in the Bahamas of Four Seasons. Um, and uh, for an owner who had different objectives than the operator from a design standpoint. So it caused some of the, the conflict that designers and owners are aware of. Um, and so for a while, Dana and I had actually uh, lost touch, but Dana was a juror for a design competition in which I had submitted some win work. And as I'm remembering it, Dana, when you were on that jury and chose my work without my knowing that it was mine and then saw the name, you decided it was time to pick up the phone and that we should reconnect. Well, and I think that, that's a, a, a very interesting anecdote because it was seeing your work unadulterated by an, an owner's uh, preferences or a partner's um, aesthetic inclinations. It was um, an epiphany. It was exactly what I was looking for and what our um, the Four Seasons brand needed. And so, it was an immediate reconnection that, that sparked a, a whole um, many projects that I am incredibly proud of. And the, the, the culmination was 
the project in, in Mexico, Cabo, and we'll share some of that later. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I want to get on to the topic of, you know, this sort of urgency of the hospitality industry's response to the COVID crisis. Um, and we'll come back to some of yeah. the kind of the uh, more uh, um, aspects of the way the industry works in normal times uh, later in the conversation here. And I say this because I suspect there are a lot of people on this call who uh, work in, in and around the hospitality industry, whether they're designers, whether they work for brands that uh, support uh, selling into the industry uh, and all that. And so I think the first thing I want to do is really say, like, really take us inside uh, the hotel brands and the urgency and immediacy of responding to this um, the crisis here and uh, tell us what it's been like and how that's changed your your job uh, Todd currently and Dana when you were initially responding to it uh, because I think for other designers on the call uh, and and others in the industry we, we kind of want to know what that feels like Dana why don't you go first because you you had to deal with this on a world stage with properties in every country so I think your your undertaking was really extraordinary Right, and, and so I'll, I'll kick it off, but I, I think you're in the midst of it, Todd, so the, the majority of, of the uh, insights are, are likely best to come from you. So when this thing hit, it, it was unbelievably uh, crushing. Uh, the, the company had to deal with uh, closure after closure, and uh, the word unprecedented has been used uh, ad nauseum but in fact, never in the history of Four Seasons as a company or in our lifetime have we seen something as catastrophic a failure as this. And, and so um, wrapping our, our heads around uh, each of the closures was uh, really difficult to do. It was totally surreal. And, yeah. and uh, like I said, there were many initiatives that were underway, for instance, the, the um, uh, the war against single-use plastics was put on hold, and and uh, I think the whole world has gone in a direction of, of disposables, and you see masks and gloves all over the place. Um, but but that uh, pivoted uh, it, it, in an instant, and we had other initiatives that were really important, uh, working on Four Seasons family facilities because we felt that was an opportunity for um, in, increased uh, guest satisfaction. Um, families traveling together and facilities that would accommodate them fully. And all of that fell by the wayside. We were in fact in, in the research and design studio building an innovation showroom, which was uh, collecting um, all of the latest and the greatest. And, and it was uh, an exploration that was so inspiring uh, for me and for the team. We were really looking into the future and all of that ground to a halt in an instant. And we were talking about masks, whether they should be black, uh, which might be sinister, or whether they should be white, and, and what sanitizing stations should look like, and, and even down to the, the saddest thing, which is, where can we get this stuff? And how quickly can we get it? So yes, we went from the sublime, really, to, to the ridiculous. And you're living in the middle of it now, Todd. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think we've found some stasis in what the solutions are in the guest environment, but it was really uh, unsettling early on because so much of what we've had to implement as an industry in all, all cultures and continents 
um, is completely antithetical to what we set out to do in the hospitality business, first and foremost. We have now created, by requirement, barriers, restrictions, warnings, limitations, and these are all things that work in contrast to the art of gracious hospitality, to serving people beautifully. And so the, the initial thing that we had in mind was that uh, although we've got to convey to our consumers that we place them in the highest level of care, or when they're in our care, that we place them in the highest level of regard, we can't do that unless we first and foremost take care of our own staff. So our earliest initiatives were all about taking care of our staff. So our CEO was quite extraordinary in a number of the things that, that he engineered uh, for our company, but um, everybody was afforded the opportunity to be tested immediately. Um, we did a work from home uh, arrangement. People were kept on payroll full time because we couldn't put together these plans. We couldn't implement these things if we didn't have a staff to do so, but we couldn't be at the properties because the properties were closed. So we engineered all of this sort of behind the drape while the closure occurred, made sure that our house was protected first and foremost, that our staff was cared for, and tried to give people amongst this time with great anxiety some degree of relief that there was care and solutions were being worked on. Um, and that's what allowed us to move to the next phase of what do we do for our guests? Because you really, you're, you're nowhere in this industry with guest service if you haven't first taken care of the people that are ruling out that guest service. Yeah, I, I want to, before I uh, ask the follow-on question there, I want to remind everyone that we do have a Q&A button on, the, uh, on your devices. And so feel free to enter questions and uh, we'll get to them as quickly as we can through the conversation here. Uh, yeah. My follow-on question is, uh, so now that we've had this immediate response here, can you uh, maybe paint a picture of what uh, the future would, might look like for uh, the, the uh, various design firms and brands who service the industry over the next few years? Are we going to see a return to some level of investment and activity in the near future, or are we looking at a longer term uh, pause in terms of hotel development and investment? Uh, that's a, it's a great question. Um, and I'll speak from our experience here. And I'm going to go back in history, you know, as architects, Dana and I are classically trained and, and we, we were lovers of world history. But, you know, some of the most extraordinary advancements culturally, artistically throughout the ages have been born out of the worst times. And although this is a terrible time, we have believed that it's really important to still be creative, be visionary and to be dreaming because during times like this, people need hope and they need optimism. So within our company, we've not been shy to let everybody know that we are still creating a future. We are looking over the horizon line and we are hopeful that we will arrive there sooner than later. We know it will happen someday it's the when that's uncertain. And so it's essential to still be hopeful and optimistic to be creating and dreaming. Now it, it has affected some of those dreams a little bit, but um, it just because there's not working capital to build is not a reason for us to still not be visionary and not be creating. And you know what Dana has been doing for 
a long time is they, they've had this incredible uh, innovation center that she was the author of. Um, and that gave them an opportunity to constantly be tooling for the future before there was even an actual scheduled need for it, so to speak. And that's very much what we're doing now. Um, Dana, do, you know, what can you build on that? Well, I, I was um, recently reading a book by um, a business thought leader called Roger uh, Martin, and his, um, it, it's a very interesting approach. In times of crisis or when faced with what seems to be an insurmountable challenge, if you just work at it and turn it upside down sometimes and come at it from a different way, then something um, suddenly comes through that is, as you say, Todd, um, a game changer for, for the future. And so I'm an optimist by nature. And even though we're living in very dark times, I think designers should take this as an opportunity to uh, think through everything. And whether that's um, circulation and with the, the physical distancing as, as a kind of filter to look at now, um, or the, the use of different uh, touchless systems or yeah. materials. Uh, I, I think you're right. It's in moments like this that the strong and, and the intelligent rise and arm themselves with the science and, and the knowledge uh, that will help us get through this and will make us win ultimately. I, I saw a, um, something on the news yesterday, one of the, um, uh, the doctors was wearing a mask when he was giving a briefing and uh, on, on it was written, science will win. And I strongly believe in that. Uh, and as, as you know, Todd, I prize thoughtful and intelligent design. And if ever there was an opportunity to apply that, then it, it certainly is now. And, and we can't despair. It's, it's, um, it's not a time to, to be negative. There's enough of that around us. So stay yeah. um, educate yourself and, and, and look to the, the future. Yeah, that's so well said. You know, when you if we talk about specific things, Peter, like if our if our listeners today are wanting to know like what kind of things, it really runs the gamut. You know, it's amazing. You know the quote, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. It's amazing how many things that have happened during this time in a hotel that we've stepped back from after it's been implemented and said, this is so smart. We actually could have been doing this anyways in the past. You know, one of the things that we've had incredible response from is creating these really lovely little bronze plaques, bronze and glass that sit on every dining table that has uh, a QR code that can be scanned for the beverage menu, for the dining menu. You know, I love a piece of uh, beautifully printed collateral. Dana does too. But, you know, there's always the issues of different site uh, acuity. Some people can't read a font. Some people can. The restaurant's dark. The menu's dirty. And so for a future generation to be able to look at their menu on their smart device, scale it, scroll through it, and not have to contact a menu that is not sanitized is very reassuring. And it also is very personal and very comfortable for people. So we've implemented this in our properties and the response has been amazing, so much so that it's one of the things that I've said, we should always continue to provide. These should not leave the table. They're so discreet and they're so elegant um, and they're so anticipatory 
Uh, and I've said, let's, let's keep a good thing going here. This doesn't have to be something that's viewed as a compromise for now. This is something that is the result of a challenge that we were given that should live on beyond this. Same thing with the entire check-in experience. You know, in the, in the five-star strata, it's always been quite controversial to think about a self-service kiosk or arriving with your key on your phone um, as being anything that supported a high level of service because it lacked a humanity. But this is one of the things that we've really had to look at and say, if there is in fact a need to reduce the amount of contact and the time during which people are in contact with one another, how can we take something that was really an enemy of ours psychologically and embrace it and do something that actually is perceived by the guest as being anticipatory. We don't want them to perceive that we're being uh, cheap on staffing and that we don't want to receive them warmly in a beautiful space. So we've got to flip the paradigm in a smart way that actually says we are responding to your needs and your expectations very elegantly and graciously. So those what, are that's kind of the spectrum. What's interesting when um, hearing you talk about some of the changes, they feel you know, there's a design component to them, but there's also an operational component to them in response to the crisis. Uh, one of the questions that came up here, actually a couple of them that have come up so far, relate to what I would call some combination of maybe um, this idea that is the crisis potentially affecting um, design styles more aesthetically perhaps in terms of uh, maybe where things were going before the crisis and as you look past do, do you think that there's some, you know, more change in the uh, design direction of properties? And then maybe a part of that question might also be, would it also, uh, is, is there a sort of a renovation cycle that is shifting as well as a result of all of this? Let me take that one uh, first, because this, this is, I've been giving uh, this a, a fair um, degree of thought and um, that, that big ship um, that I was talking about at the beginning that, that had to be um, turned uh, was full of um, fabrics and full of soft surfaces, uh, full of unnecessary decoration. I mean, you, you can judge it um, personally. Some like it, some don't. I don't. But I think in the, the brave new world, uh, we are really going to have to think as designers what it is that we're using in a guest room and, and in public spaces uh, that is uh, cleaner lined and, and simpler and, and impervious to, to uh, carrying any um, types of things that might encourage bacterial growth. Mm -hmm. And so um, wellness was already taking guest rooms in that direction with a hard floor and with operable windows to, to get some natural ventilation um, the, the whole uh, supply, air, and return uh, is another discussion. Uh, but really, it, it is going in a direction where I, I think rooms should have gone, because in order to be truly sanctuaries, they cannot be cluttered, and, and they cannot uh, be nervous-making with so many elements that are catching your eye. It, it really is calming to have the type of room that you design, Todd, where it's simple and clean, and artfully composed, and and you pick your moments where there's drama that that draws the eye, and and then the rest is just quiet and clean. So yes, I think the design world will really have to think uh, a great deal about um, 
moving forward in, in that direction. Todd, do you want to comment on that? I agree. I, Dana has said it beautifully. I, we're completely aligned in our thinking on that. Um, there were a lot of us that were already doing it. Um, and so for us, it's a, another validator uh, because some of those things do come with greater expense. You know, so let's talk about, Dana mentioned, you know, a hardwood floor, which I'm a proponent of doing that on a few projects right now. But that comes with greater expense than, say, doing a carpeted floor. But you have to look at what that is as an investment um, into you know, your guest experience. And I think that this current situation justifies that because if you look at what's being done in rooms right now from a housekeeping level, the cleaning and sanitization is so rigorous and it's all these soft surfaces, these, these microbial breeding grounds that are the problem for us. And so being um, a very cognizant of antimicrobial surfaces, surfaces don't, that don't contribute to you know, airborne um, uh, pollens, pathogens, dust, et cetera, are all really important. And, and Dana's been focused on that for a long time. So for many of us that have been practicing in that sphere, it's comfortable, but for others, it's gonna be a real shakeup. And the investment, uh, you raise uh, such a, <laughs> a topical point. It, it, um, the future looks more expensive all around, hardwood yeah. floors. But there are ways of being creative and there are products. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of faux materials. I, I had a hard time with the porcelain that looked like wood that uh, Jennifer Johansson suggested years ago, but she was right. Um, there, there are um, materials now uh, that uh, don't actually pretend to, to be something else. They mimic it to some degree, uh, but are more affordable than others. And, and so there's a whole field of study of uh, having materials that are easily cleaned and, and, and are sanitized to, to the degree that we all need and expect now um, that, that aren't uh, traditional uh, materials. So, yeah. so with Peter, if I could just add to that too, um, one thing that I know we, we're always very cognizant of, um, the expectation that's now being placed on housekeeping staff is higher than it's ever been before. And so it's really made their job even more complicated than it already was. And so as designers, we have to be very thoughtful about what's involved in the life cycle of these environments that we create. Um, and that is going to get increasing scrutiny because the rooms still have to be cleaned within the same window of time. We don't have unlimited human resources to staff the properties. And the expectation is so much higher that the designer has a responsibility to facilitate the, these new efficiencies and these new elevated expectations. That's very much the, our responsibility. So when you talk about investment and when you talk about the, the, these demands, is your expectation that there'll be an acceleration of a renovation cycle over the next few years? Or is this something that's going to, you know, there's, we're still going to face a pause and this will become part of a longer term uh, planning by uh, hotel groups? Dana, you want to take that first? Yeah, I, I will. Um, there's always... Um a budget discussion on, on any renovation. And it has to make sense. The investment has to have a return and it, it can't be just because. But if you 
I, I believe that it's going to happen immediately. I, I think unless an entire project is completely designed with carpet and, and, and uh, fabric uh, upholstered walls, um, everyone's going to, to look at um, the phase in which a renovation design is in and see if there is an opportunity to roll it back and start again with this fresh set of parameters because um, I, I don't know how a guest would feel in a um, plush pile carpet with upholstered uh, walls and, and drapery with three panels. Uh, I, I would not like to stay in a room like that, especially with a hermetically sealed room with no opportunity to open a window and get some hey. fresh air. Yeah. There is opportunity. I, I, I think uh, things will stop and they'll get reassessed. Todd? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's helpful, I think, in terms of you know timing and thinking uh, in the community that we're a part of today on this call. I did want to move on here uh, just to talk a little bit more broadly about the industry and how it works yeah, from your experience. I find it fascinating uh, that you know in every project there's so many uh, people who are participating in the decision process and that's a place I always like to spend some time thinking and I know that um, you've each found yourselves in situations where you know you have such a disparate array of owners uh, who are um, you know, guiding the decision, uh, investment decision processes, and uh, you're partnering with them. I wanted to start there first. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the profile of hotel uh, developer and owners, and you know how that uh, affects uh, projects uh, from a design perspective. And um, I'm thinking in my mind when I say this about uh, owners that are, you know, individuals all the way to financial institutions. So uh, let let me. Let me bring Tom. Both smiling. <laughs> um, there are two types of owners, and believe me, in 22 years, I've come up against uh, the full spectrum. Um, the, the one is a dispassionate uh, business individual or entity, and they pretty much say, I don't care if it's pink or blue as long as it makes money. And yeah. so you're the subject matter expert. You tell me who to hire. You tell me what connect personality the property should have, and I'll just build it and I'll, I'll make my money. Uh, the other uh, is a passionate, involved owner who you have to respect because they, they really feel it all. They're emotionally connected to it. A lot of these are pride projects, they're legacy projects, and the uh, personal involvement is, uh, well, it's there, it, it's to be admired, but I have to say it is uh, the uh, that type of owner that is very difficult uh, to lead to a product that is reflective of the brand or reflective even of the designer's um, desire to create something that, that's beautiful and, and functional and, and appropriate. And, and so um, I think Todd can build on this, but we, uh, we, we dealt in a project um, in uh, Manelli Bay uh, that I, I think we could show a, a couple of uh, photographs of before and after and 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 the the previous owner was emotionally attached and had uh, a, a, a very strong aesthetic um, and uh, then the the 
Yes, yes, that's perfect. Thank you, Megan. Uh, so you can see that that uh, the lobby of the Manelli Bay Hotel um, was uh, very much a reflection of everything that the previous owner held dear. He had a, a complete fascination with Oriental um, objects and with uh, Oriental, uh, specifically Chinese history, and, and was a great collector. And, and so this was very much a reflection of, of him, his, his interests, uh, his, his life story. And then if we go to the next one, Megan, you can see that when the property changed hands, um, and Todd uh, designed it. This might not be the, uh, the best photograph of the, the magnificence of, of the, the new lobby, but uh, Todd, uh, take it up with how uh, Larry Ellison really wanted to change uh, the character of this place. Yeah, I, I should mention just anecdotally these two photos. It's funny because the photo that's on the screen right now um, is not actually what's been designed as the final lobby but that's what is staying there for the indefinite future because Mr. Ellison really believed in constantly delivering a new experience each time the guests came back to the property. He wanted to see that this gem was always being polished, that each of its facets was being cared for. So rather than doing one wholesale uh, renovation, um, which we ended up doing, he wanted to initially just take each part of it as aggressively as we could and begin the renovations. So we had about five months to do this. And he said, for festive season, I need a completely new point of view. So my approach to this lobby was very much like a stage set. It was only meant to be very short lived for a brief period of time before we did the larger architectural gesture to this space. Um, but when it was done, he said, stop, this is great. We don't need to go any further, it's so good. So a little anecdote. But um, Dana, you're, you had a specific question. It was about what it was like working with Mr. Ellison. Well, and, and the specific question really goes to the heart of a partnership being really successful yeah. when the, the design <laughs> language is, there's a song somewhere that's cute. <laughs> that's mine, sorry everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, no apology for a puppy. No, not for a puppy. So um, when the designer natural language and designers all have natural languages, they they can they can say that we're um, uh, we're flexible and versatile, and we work in a series of languages. But really, they do their best work when it comes from the heart, and they believe in it. Um, so yeah. I I I think uh, it, it was a happy happy situation that your aesthetic uh, was so perfectly aligned with that owner's because it all just flowed. Yeah, and you know, he's um, more so than a client. Um, he really is an extraordinary patron. You know, there are, through the ages, people that are identified as the great patrons of the arts. And he really is that patron. And what I mean by that is some owners just like to collect designers um, and, and sort of own what they've done as an asset. What Larry Ellison did that was wonderful is that he granted extraordinary artistic trust to me uh, and to the team. And we had very candid conversations. And you know, this is a man who owns some of the most uh, renowned pieces of art and sculpture. 
in the world has access to anything. And we had really wonderful, intimate conversations where he would share that some of the great works that he owns, uh, had he been there looking over the artist's shoulder as they were painting that work, he may have had comments or recommendations about what they should do with an eye or a nose or the scumble of color in the background. But that there's power in letting the artist's pure expression come to completion. And so he stood in the room with us, you know, when we did model rooms and we looked at designs and he would always say, you know, this isn't anything that I would have imagined having for myself or in my home, but seeing it here and understanding what this is as an artistic construct, I want the vision to be pure, unfettered and not diluted by uh, subjective things that will derail its true narrative go and with, so with that, that was really rich because that's quite rare to have a client that just says go i support it i endorse it be an artist because in the industry and i think data will concur with this um there has been an increasing focus on designers being technical and project managers and great construction administrators and oftentimes the real core of what we do as people that create is overshadowed by the execution portion of the job. And he's the type of client that provides an incredible picture frame environment around the artistry of what we're doing. And I've always tell my team here and in the past, nobody comes to a Four Seasons Resort and walks in a door and says to their spouse, my, this looks so well-documented and I bet the project management was extraordinary. <laughs> Those are not the reasons people are choosing these incredible destinations. And Larry allowed us to focus on why people make the decision to travel to these incredible destinations. Yeah. Well, we the, we, we, that moves through them, not that they move through. Yeah. Well, as always, I'm watching the clock here. So I want to make sure we uh, talk about a couple other things here. One is, um, and this is a perfect segue, I think, to your comments there, Todd. I'd really like to have you all share advice that you would have for hospitality design firms today uh, with respect to you know, how they should be thinking about looking out to the future, uh, working with brands uh, such as the, the ones that you manage and um, thinking about uh, their teams and their business in the, over the next day, couple of years here. Well, I, I think I, I alluded to it quite strongly when I said that uh, this should be viewed as an opportunity. And uh, I'm not 31 and naive, as Todd referred to previously. Um, I've been around several hospitality blocks. And so I know that uh, money and, and owner opinions and, and asset managers' uh, opinions make an incredibly um, difficult working environment for the kind of artistry that Todd was just talking about. But I think almost every owner and every um, ownership team can be convinced if there is a compelling argument uh, that will deliver a product that is going to sell at a great rate, that will be desired, that will make uh, guests feel as if they're in a special place and, and that they're, they're really getting um, the value from 
the money that they're paying for a vacation for even for a business day. And, and so uh, designers should really seize this as, as an opportunity to uh, reinvent and, and, and that mass that said science will win. I, I've gone on for years now about the art and science of hotel design and art will always have to be there. The result has to be beautiful. It has to be beautifully composed and it has to be uh, visually compelling. But the opportunity exists to make a room that is safe and healthy and, 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 and clean, easily cleanable because the realities of housekeeping and the time frame they have for turning a room around is, is always going to be there. And, and so educate yourself um, and, and bring to the table knowledge that is extraordinary and by that i mean that is extra than just the ordinary and and it's how i lived my career by being able to bring something that is compelling as an argument to spend a little more or to take a little more time and and so this this is it designers of the world unite and, and educate yourselves yeah it's so great to hear you talk about education, Dana, because um, it's time for a lot of people in our industry to figuratively and literally go back to school. Um, you know, the learning has to ramp up really quickly um, and it's got to be a very steep curve. Um, now's the time to, to become curious again, um, be comfortable with your, your vulnerability, your uncertainty, um, find some humility and is as accomplished as we are in the industry, we need to look at a lot of this through a new lens and feel like it's a beginning again. And that's okay. It feels like an unsafe space to a lot of people, but through that curiosity, through those explorations, a great mastery of this new topic um, will be achieved. But everybody's got to get curious. They've got to do research and they've got to talk. You know. As much as our industry shares this wonderful sisterhood and brotherhood, we often sort of silo ourselves and only kind of come together at conferences. Forums like this one today are invaluable and I really encourage everybody to share. Um, there's often this thinking that knowledge you have that somebody doesn't have might give you a competitive edge. I, I think it's really a case of the tide that rises all the ships. Share, communicate, have a dialogue, reach out and let there be this incredible exchange of information because we need to really strengthen our voice as a collective industry. Yeah, well, I, I think that's definitely the mission of the DLN in that regard. So I, we think we agree. I want to make sure just, I think I know the answer, but I wanna make sure we cover the ground here because of our audience. I'd love to have you just share also your advice for the kinds of uh, vendors or brands that support the industry from a product perspective advice that you would give them in much the same way that you just shared advice for the designers on the call. Mm. Todd, you want to take that first while I collect my thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Well, we are so reliant on, we call them our resource partners. My team here knows that the word vendor uh, is, is a forbidden word. Um, we are really reliant on our, our design resource partners. And, uh, I am really impressed how so many of our partners have done incredibly deep dives. They've been wonderful innovators in the area of product development. And some of them have already started launching products that are specifically 
responsive to this current situation. It's been amazing how much they've, they've reacted. Um, and I encourage them to keep doing the same. Um, I would say though that they're spending a lot of money on getting their message out. And because we're in this together from a business standpoint as well, I would encourage them to not feel so obligated to sampling and providing tangible examples of what they're doing because that's coming to them at great expense. We always talk about sustainability, but just the sampling and distribution programs are actually not a model of sustainability. So we want to find new ways of learning about product, learning about resources and sharing the data without being as uh, lavish as we have in the past with material distribution. I encourage the innovation, I encourage new product development and the dissemination of information, but we want to uh, support our resource partners and also conserving expenses because their sales have dropped, their orders have dropped, and so they need, they need to tighten their belts and we need to help them do that. And I would just add that uh, our most successful collaborations with resource partners, that's great terminology, um, has always been with companies that were willing to listen. And, and Peter, yours is, is one of them and, and hence the long and successful collaboration. Um, there are others like Lutron who went on a, an incredible uh, journey of, of research and development to, to develop a, a, a um, control system for the sanctuary uh, room. Uh, I, I think resource partners should always listen and yes, not, not go crazy with prototyping and, and investing money unnecessarily, that isn't sustainable, but listening to those who are uh, intimately connected with the knowledge that comes from the end users is, uh, it, it's what will drive the business forward and in this new climate, uh, being open to what they have to achieve now. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you um, both for this. Um, we really are out of time, unfortunately. I think this conversation could have gone for some time. Um, and we appreciate um, all the insights you've given us, both about the current crisis, but also thinking more broadly about the hospitality design industry. Uh, so thank you all very much. Um, I, uh, could we just please put up the, the 45, 46, and 47 that- Absolutely. Beautiful. <laughs> Report <laughs> that uh, Todd designed just recently. Um, it's uh, Megan. You got to go to forty-five, forty-six. There we go. Look at that. Back up one. There is a beautiful shot of the uh, lobby. Nope. Different one. Down. Yeah. Down. Okay. Oh, look at that room. Sorry, Peter, to interrupt you, but I just no problem. Audience. We had a lot of fun doing this, Dana. This was our. This is our most recent project together. It was such a blast. I, I take so much pride in this one because it really is the epitome of my career that, that I took that ship with the flowered chintz and the mm. masks on the drapery. And, and, and this is what I ended my career at Four Seasons with. Love it. Beautiful. <laughs> it I love so that image so much. Yeah, it was so fun. Yep. Well, thank you so much. You know, and I think what that... Um, what that, what your uh, ending remark there with Dana suggests that, you know, for all of the, um, you know, you really do bring your own personal passion and interest into the process in a way that I'm so happy you just shared with us because it's not just about the budgets and 
about the process, but it is about your own, you know, the, the vision that you brought to Four Seasons and how that affected, you know, Todd, his career as a designer and so many other people who we know who have been a part of these projects with you. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, and, and Peter, I want to say, you know, there's, there's really only one Dana. Um, so much of what has r risen the tide in our industry originates with Dana. And that's not always very well known. And to the younger generation of designers, um, it's extraordinary how much of what they're seeing today as a standard, so to speak, um, actually originated with Dana. She, this, the word standard, again, doesn't sound like a glamorous word, but there's a lot of rigor at arriving at a standard, because standard is actually a very good word. Um, and so much of that came from what Dana was doing at Four Seasons for decades. And it's really quite groundbreaking. Um, it's always interesting to talk about the number of things that exist as um, sort of hallmarks of the luxury hospitality industry that originated with Four Seasons. It blows people away to know how basic things that we take for granted at one point didn't exist and they started at Four Seasons, and Dana was the uh, author of a lot of that. Yeah. Wow, we're, thank we're you. Very, <laughs> we're very privileged to have you with us here, Dana, and also you, Todd, as well. Thank you so much. Uh, the last thing I just wanna say here is that I wanna remind everyone that our next Expert Access Talk on Wednesday of next week uh, is with the Head of Strategic Partners, uh, Creators and Content at Pinterest. And uh, we're gonna learn about new tools uh, specifically designed for uh, design professionals to really enhance their um, uh, their relationship with Pinterest as a site. So it's an opportunity for design firms to get out there and grow their business uh, with, with Pinterest uh, seen first on DLN. So again, thank you all for being here and thank you all for uh, participating in this uh, expert access conversation. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye everybody.